John the Baptist was an enigma. He was a man of mystery for many reasons. He, he lived in the wilderness. Um, he, uh, he probably slept in caves in wide open spaces. Spent his days collecting food, probably avoiding wild animals. In Mark's Gospel, uh, not, not read this morning, but in Mark's Gospel, we get a picture of John as a very rugged man. He wears camel skins tied with a leather belt. He, he almost gets a, a picture not just of a, a man who lives in the wild, but a wild man. He, he eats bugs as his diet. He gets honey right from the comb. Um, bees flying around, no doubt. He's, well, he's at least unconventional. At the, at the very least, he's unconventional. He's an enigma because of where he lives, because of what he eats, because of what he wears. In fact, he's more than just a mystery. He's almost downright weird, isn't he? I mean, people don't live like this, do they? It's, a, it's odd to see a person like this. And it's even more odd because of his vocation. You know what John's job is? He's a preacher. Oh, not a respectable sort that stands in a pulpit in a synagogue or in the temple in Jerusalem. He's kind of a, he's kind of a roadside preacher. Kind of like... Um, Kind of like the guy with the megaphone outside of the Buckeye Stadium or the one who's in the, in the park standing on a soapbox. He's this kind of preacher. But here's what's even more of a mystery. Somehow he gains an audience. People actually come to listen to him. They want to hear what he has to say. And this causes up a great stir among um, those who are religious professionals of his day. They come to John and they, they, um, they want to know where this mystery of credibility lies. What is it about him? In fact, they fear him a little bit. We have a great fear of the unknown, don't we? All of us do. We fear what we don't know. It's, um, it's why little children are afraid of monsters. You know, the one that lives in the closet. Did you have a monster living in your closet when you were... You know, or the one who lives under the bed. I, it, for me, it was always under the bed. I, I was that kid who um, turned off the light and thought that he could jump into the bed before the light actually went out, you know. It, it, always afraid of them. You, know, when, you don't have to teach a child to be afraid of monsters. When, when my boys were little, we used to have this book uh, that they loved to read called um, The Monster at the End of This Book. Have you ever seen this? No? Sesame Street? Yeah, maybe a couple of Sesame Street fans. The Monster at the End of This Book. And um, it's narrated by Grover, uh, this Sesame Street uh, character. And he begins by saying... What did that title say? There's a monster at the end of this book? And he's all nervous. And so he says, you know, please don't turn the page because if we do, we'll get closer to the monster that's at the end of the book. And, and so you turn the page and the, and the children giggle and Grover says, no, what did you do? You know, and he, he, tries to, he tries to tie a page together and then you turn it. Oh, it doesn't work. He tries to nail pages together and you turn it. It doesn't work. And the children love it. And... and and they squeal and they giggle and they laugh because we're getting closer to the monster at the end of the book. We are fearful of the unknown, though, aren't we? we I mean, we, we're scared of what might be at the end of the book. I, I don't remember the first time I ever read it, but I imagine my children are probably like, you know, we should listen to Grover. You know, he's a, he's a man of wisdom, this Grover, this blue, furry uh, character. Perhaps, Dad, we would not want to turn the page. It's only once they knew that it was a joke that... But it was fun then. 
It's not always fun to go into the unknown. We, we, want, we want security. We want to control the things that are around us. We think that if we control the world around us, then, then we'll have this sense of peace that we long for, that, that we'll be this sense of control. And so we hold on to things. I mean, we cling to money and possessions and people. And, but it's not just that. Not just those sorts of things. You know what else we cling to? We cling to our problems. <laughs> We've got these problems. I mean, there are problems, but they're ours. You know, they're like family members or something. You know, we've, we've carried them around with us for a long time. Better the devil you know than the one you don't. Uh, yeah, that's right. We hold on to these problems and you never know what might be out there. And so in the Gospel lesson, when John the baptizer comes around, um, I think he brings with him all this unknown. He brings with him all this mystery. And, and, and so the people are, you know, the religious people, they're, they're questioning him. They're, they're actually interrogating him, aren't they? John, are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then are you Elijah? No, I'm not him either. Are you the prophet? Nope, not the prophet either. Well, then this exactly who are you? Because we need to know. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you, um, why are you baptizing? And he offers this kind of cryptic message, doesn't he? When he finally does answer, he doesn't even give a direct answer. Don't you hate people who won't give a direct answer? Just answer the question, John. Who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Get ready. God is on His way. How do you suppose you would react if someone said to you, oh, by the way, the Lord is on His way. Like on May 21st or October 12th or whatever, you know, um, December 21st, 2012, so say the Mayans. I don't, you know, where, how would you react to those sorts of things? Maybe it would be like, oh, yeah, whatever, pish posh, you know. <laughs> not, not happening. Or, or maybe... Oh no. What would I do? I mean, how would we be ready? What's one supposed to do? And John says, he, he echoes Isaiah. He echoes Isaiah, get ready because the Lord is coming. But what is the Lord coming to do? It was in the Old Testament passage this morning. What does Isaiah say? The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound. John says, when the Lord shows up, it's going to be good news. It's going to be good news particularly to those who understand Israel's history. I've been through this with you before. You knew it's coming. But this is, this is bound up in real history. For 600 years before the Jesus was born, Israel was taken into captivity, into exile by Babylon. And then they were handed over when the Persians overran the Babylonians. The Israelites were like traded off like, oh, this is inherited property, by the way. They were allowed to go home, but they were kept under the rule of the Persians. And then after them, the Syrians. And by the time of John the Baptist and by the time of Jesus, the Romans. What about good news to people like this? God is coming to set you free. Freedom! It means no more foreign domination. No more nations around us going to rule over us. But it doesn't 
seem to be that way, does it? Jesus doesn't raise up an army to fight Rome like you think he should do. He doesn't raise up an army to, to overthrow the oppressors like you would think he should do. You see, maybe there's something else about the coming of the Messiah. It's not political. It's spiritual. The coming of the Messiah is not about a political reality. It's about a spiritual reality. It's what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Thessalonians. You know, in chapter 5, it was in your lesson this morning, he's going through and he's telling them to do all these sorts of things, like, you know, do what's good, abstain from what's evil, you know, live good lives. And then there at the end of the letter, he says this, And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. We don't use the word sanctify at all holiday in our, our modern conversation. We talk about the sanctuary or maybe uh, you know, certain consecrated things. But to make holy, a holy place. Paul says he prays that God would actually make these Christian people holy. That He would do something for them. And He would make them holy, holy. You know, entirely morally pure. That He would cleanse, cleanse them through and through. It took me a while to get around this barn. But here is the point. The hope of the Gospel is this. That God does something in us. Yes, we need God to forgive us. We need forgiveness for sin. No question about it. Of course we need forgiveness for sin. But if it's just that God forgives us and then sets us out and we just keep doing the same things over and over and over, well then, is there really any good news in that? The hope of the Gospel isn't that God forgives us. Of course He forgives us. The hope is that He changes us. He transforms us. He makes us different kind of people. He makes us into new creatures. New creations. New creatures. That He does something to transform us. Yes, God loves us exactly like we are. But He loves us too much to leave us just like we are. A few years ago, I, was in, uh, I lived in Canton, Ohio, just down the road. And in downtown Canton, there's this uh, big Catholic church, St. Peter's. Um, it's kind of a flagship church for, uh, for Catholics in Canton. And, um, and on one Sunday morning, whilst the people were inside the church, a huge part of the facade fell to the ground. I mean, like hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds of stone fell from the bell tower way up high. I mean... A hundred feet maybe to the ground just crashed right there on the sidewalk right outside the church while the people were inside. I couldn't help but think some fellow was saying, you know, his wife was begging him to come to church that day. And he says to her something like, if I go, the roof's going to cave in, you know. And he goes, you know, I just imagine that conversation after church. Well, Bob, you're never coming again, you know, it's over you. You ever felt like that? You know, if I go into the presence of God, if I went into a holy place, well, maybe the roof would cave in. We're so aware of our faults and our failures. We're so aware of our weaknesses and our infirmities. We know we're prone to pride and anger and lust and greed and selfishness. We know that when we're deprived of even small things that we whine and cry like it's the end of the world. We know that about ourselves. We try to hide it. 
probably do a really good job much of the time, you know. We're embarrassed by it. But the truth is, is that's who we are and we know it. That's why we need good news. We need good news that, that God is not going to just do something for us. He's going to do something in us to make us what we really want to be. People who love God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. People who love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's what we want to be. That's what we hope to be. That's what the Gospel promises us we can be. A few years ago, I was sitting at a, uh, I was at a stoplight, you know, and I was kind of playing around my radio or something like that. And I, I look up and I'm kind of in this lane and I'm, I'm heading north at, at the stoplight. I'm the first car in the intersection. And there's this car going in front of me and he's, he's turning left. You know, I'm heading north. He's going, getting ready to turn south. So he's turning left right in front of me. And, and just as he begins to turn, he misses this motorcycle coming through the intersection. And, you, you know, I could see it happening for a split second. I mean, there's nothing I could do, honk or anything. It was just too fast. And the motorcycle hits the front end of the car. I have a special place in my heart for motorcyclists. And so I was really praying fervently in my, that split second. And, and the motorcycle hits the front end of the car. That goes up on the front wheel. The motorcycle rider is catapulted through the sky. And I'm cringing, as you would be. And then what was like a miracle, he lands on his feet. He landed so hard, I think he broke his leg. But he was alive and he was okay and, and, and he was going to make it. Now, whew, it was scary. And I got out of the car and we're checking on people and in a few minutes the police arrived and the cop comes and where were you? I was right here. And he, what'd you see? Well, here's what I saw. And he said, well, can you write it down? Yeah, I wrote it down. And he, he says, this is what you saw. This is, yeah, this is what I saw. Will you sign it? Sure, I signed it. Will you be a witness to what happened here? Yes, I will. Well, you know, you kind of look like a respectable fellow. I think you're believable, you know, teaching at a university, you know, uh, kind of hadn't been arrested in a while, and, uh, you know, that you, you're, a, you're, a, you're a pretty respectable person. And, and he believed me. <laughs> you got that one, did you, Frank? <laughs> John the Baptist shows up and says, the Lord is on His way, and He's going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. The only question this morning is do we believe it? Amen.